Hey everyone, welcome back. This is the MedTech Talk Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our guest today is Joe Biller. He's a managing director at Sightline Partners. He's been a guest on the podcast before. And uh, he was kind enough to uh, moderate one of our panels at the MedTech Conference. And then Joe and I had the opportunity to sit down and sort of go over the broader discussion just a bit, but then get into how Joe looks at uh, at investing in MedTech companies. He's got some really... Uh, some in, in unique ways to uh, to evaluate companies. Sightline's a really fascinating firm, and uh, he talks a bit about alternative sources of capital for startups. So this is definitely a valuable conversation. I hope you do enjoy it, and uh, keep your eye out for more content from the MedTech Conference. Now let's get into this conversation with Joe Biller of Sightline Partners. Joe, thanks for joining us. Yeah, happy to be here. Thought the panel went well today, the uh, the venture panel. You were going for sort of a, a state of the union type yeah. of address. So what is the state of the venture capital union after hearing well, from your uh, colleagues? Yeah, I, I think it's good. I thought we got a great perspective from a lot of different uh, verticals within the investing uh, you know, community. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had Rob Winkleman, who kind of oversees the debt markets as an advisor. Obviously, some great investors in uh, Justin Klein from NEA. Mike Feve, who's new to the scene with KCK, and then Mark Deem, who's just uh, obviously such a well-regarded early-stage, you know, incubator um, has launched a number of companies. So I think we touched on a lot, although it might have been from a little bit of a high level. I think uh, you know, I, I feel like we addressed a lot of the key questions uh, the audience has from entrepreneurs. You know, veteran CEOs, mm-hmm. investors. So uh, I thought it was good. So what are some of the challenges facing you folks? I talked with Justin about this as well. Having capital in this day is great, but you need more more people at the table to really make it go. Yes, I, I, I do think uh, syndicate risk is, is uh, because of what we discussed, the reduction in the buyers over the last four or five years. Um, although there's some new ones, as JP talked about, uh, this morning, um, it is something that you need to be mindful of. If you look at the, if you look to the exit and work your way backwards, that point in time which the exit is likely to occur mm-hmm. from a probability standpoint, you start to have to factor in: Do we need to get to cash flow break even? And some sectors there may not be as high of a risk, but other sectors, when you're looking at them, you need to be mindful of that. And and so going back to the syndicate, making sure that the capital around the table, the partners that you're working with, are there other uh, avenues or um, sources of capital along the way? We talked about crossover mm-hmm. investors. Uh, Joe Army had a great question on that. So. I think it's uh, – for an investor, depending on what stage you invest, you always need to be mindful of, A, who your partners are. But along the way, is there any complexities that can come across that may not allow you to raise outside capital? Mm-hmm. And so I think that that challenge has always been there. I've been at Sightline for about 12 years and it it's always been on our mind. But today more than ever, it is something that is critical mm-hmm. uh, to assure success. How effective are the models for that kind of forecasting? Uh, is it you, you can project on maybe to a, yeah. a milestone, maybe two, yeah. but then to carry, well, this is where we need to get the cash flow positive? So, um, and, and it's funny, I, I, my partners actually give me a lot of grief for this because <laughs> uh, when we go through due diligence and we ask the management team to politely cut their forecast by 50% for the next three years but don't change their expenses, it's usually met with a lot of anger. <laughs> and and I, why, know, I, I would, we would never run a company that way. Yeah. And, and we, well, we 
we walk them through why we're asking for it is it always takes more time and more money. Yeah. And what we do is we try not to necessarily predict, but to create a scatter plot of the capital needs of the business, understanding that there's systemic reasons for having to run a business longer, things that are outside of the company's control, whether it's regulatory, financial markets, exit environment. There's, there's always something that can require more time and more money. So these models are never going to be precise. They're just a, a, a more of a way to, you know, have it. What's your best guess? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, as we look at, at opportunities, we're always trying to build a cushion in. And so as we look through that, we, we then look to the syndicate and we even look at what, what vintage year their fund mm-hmm. uh, sure. that they've invested in. If this is in a more recent fund, it gives us a little bit more comfort. Right. Um, obviously, if a group like NEA is in there, it, it provides a, a lot of comfort. But, <laughs> um, you know, I think the, the, the market is – Mark, Mark Deem hit it well. He says there, there's been a fallout in the venture community, but I think we've – there's a number of great groups that are continuing to fund opportunities. And it's all about, you know, doing that – Secret, finding that uh, the secret puzzle to or or secret sauce to bring the right syndicate partners mm-hmm. to the deal uh, with the right terms, the right management team, no different than what we've always faced in the venture community, but even more so on the late stage side of things, it's finding that balance of uh, of assuring that you have every all the right pieces of the puzzle. Focusing on the cost for just one second, then I have a question about the capital. What part of that can you as the venture capitalist control when you're doing that forecast and looking far out? Is there something that you know you can – maybe it's the management team or something. Is no, that's a, a good question. That, that you, you can count on being – Yeah, I, I, and um, I always try to be very mindful. I've never run a company mm-hmm. before and I, that's the first thing I'll, I'll tell the CEO when I join his board. I say, listen, I'm, I'm not going to be the board member, specifically the venture guy that tries to tell you how to run your business. Mm-hmm. But I am going to push on various things and say, hey, based on how our forecasting capabilities are going or where – what is your predictability – of uh, of the business, you know, Mark Foley just hit it well on his keynote. Where, you know, when would you take a company public when the company has predictable revenue or mm-hmm. a predictable business? Now, that's going to be really hard for a company zero to thirty million. But what I always try to press on is, okay, this is what your plan is. But what if we hit here? Can we still have the same cash out date? Mm-hmm. Are there certain things that yes, you may not want to cut in expenses, but are they not need to haves because those are the tough decisions a great CEO is going to have to make. They're going to have to look at, okay, these are our core initiatives. We're going to be great at a couple things, not good at five to ten things. And so for any of these businesses, I've always tried to share what I've learned along the way is that if we can manage the burn and if things may be not go sideways, but just may not be as uh, as fast as what they envisioned. How can we manage the cash to assure we're hitting the same milestones, but also not taking the train off the the rails mm-hmm. and and cutting too much? So, I think it's a balance, and so and it's about um, no different than I'm sure how Mark thinks about it. Uh, Mark Deem thinks about it on an early stage side of things about hitting those miles. It's a milestone driven game. Sure. So, and it's, it's cash and milestones. <laughs> Speaking of the cash, talking with some other entrepreneurs today, both mentioned, I've spoken to several, but a few came up with uh, family funds, mm-hmm. uh, OUS monies, which is nothing novel. But how does that fit into your formula? Do you, you obviously like seeing other investors at the table. Do those 
unknowns sort of cloud things for you? Or are you happy to have the contribution? It probably yeah, depends, no, I, I guess, case to I case, think case by case. Cash is king. So, yeah. um, but um, we sightline are mindful of who our partners are, and we are all. It, 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 it starts with the management team. And then it goes to, okay, who are the existing syndicate members? If we haven't worked with them before, that doesn't mean we won't work with them. In mm-hmm. fact, we just closed on a deal uh, with Monteris where the existing investors are folks that we haven't worked with before. Um, Versin and Sightline have worked together. And so we brought those two aspects together. And, and one was a collection of you know wealthy individuals. Um, another was a Canadian-based uh, bank. And um, we're very happy to be a, to be working with those investors. So when you say OUS investors, we've partnered with those before. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it all comes down to um, being on the same page with what is the business plan for the company going forward, and you know what are what are those investors' reserves? Having those very transparent discussions. Okay, right. can you support the company long term? It all goes in, and we try to be very transparent about it. It's not. You know, we we try to have open discussions during diligence, and then even after the fact, it's making sure that there's a constant communication channel. So, um, you know, family offices uh, like KCK and OUS Money, those are great sources of capital. But from, you know, a U.S. investor's perspective, I think you always want to know your partners. Yeah, and you can't look at their vintage fund. But at the same time, um, that doesn't preclude us from, you know, meeting new partners mm-hmm. and establishing new relationships. I just think... You know, it's like any new relationship. You got to build that relationship and build that trust, and and that's what we try to do. So, so final question: Are we sort of resetting in the capital world? I mean, you look at the numbers that uh, John Norris put up. There's still a mm-hmm. good amount of money going to devices, not what it was, but there's still billions going in. Uh, it's coming from different sources. We covered family funds. Is this the new normal, or do you see a day when we kind of the pendulum swings back and you've got that healthy? crop of traditional VCs out there? You know, I, I would be biased to say that it is the new normal. Mm-hmm. And I don't like Mark's, I, Mark Deem said on our panel, I don't necessarily think that's an unhealthy thing. Mm-hmm. I think the new earlier investments that are coming through the pipeline are much more, uh, I don't want to say more thoughtful because I think there's been a lot of thoughtful, but as John's data suggested, yeah. you get paid more for PMA type opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, is so as long as the exit on M&A and even IPO, that bar for the most part is revenue generating companies north of $25, $30 million in revenue and growing. If that's the bar for a majority of exits, I think that is going to set the tone for how much money it's going to take for most of these projects and thus how many how many investors – who might have a various prong approach in their book, whether it's biotech, healthcare, IT, or even IT, different strategies, and then medtech's a part of that. Those groups have to make a decision. Do you put it into medtech? Do you put it into biotech? And those factors, as long as the bar is you got to get to $30 million plus of revenue for most M&A transactions, mm-hmm. and the dollars in is X and the dollars out continues to stay here, I think the math will rule the day. If that tightens in and people start acquiring closer to FDA approval, I think you might start to see more dollars coming in because those exit time frames have come in. The mm-hmm. capital needs have come in. And all of a sudden, the risk pendulum has come down a little bit. 
So, so we 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 can see a bounce back. The the foundation's not broken. You think things could? I I actually don't think the foundation's not broken now. Yeah. I think there's a lot of great opportunities out there. I think it the as you look at the later st- stage part of the market, it re- and we touched on this in the panel. Mm-hmm. It requires creativity to, to get those deals done, um, and not to put a plug for Sightline, but. What we pride ourselves on is being uh, creative on structures, and I think there's a lot of other groups out there. You heard Mike with KCK that, you know, there there might be a company that is a little bit later in the alphabet on their series, mm-hmm. and and they may require, uh, hey, we want a little bit of this or a little bit of that, and that flexibility, I think, will help get deals done on the later stage side. And you know, I think we touched on the early stage side of things today. I think there's a lot of great opportunities. I think they're more selective now. Mm-hmm which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Great. Well, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for your help with the panel. You bet. Thank you. And that is a wrap. Thank you, MedTech Talk Podcast listeners, for joining us on the MedTech Talk Podcast. Thanks, Joe Biller, for joining us uh, at the MedTech Conference, both on the stage, on our advisory board, and, of course, uh, back in our MedTech Talk studio. And uh, thanks again to uh, everyone who participated in the MedTech Conference. It was a, a great event. And uh, keep your eyes peeled for content coming from that event. We'll be sending those out in coming weeks. Finally, uh, help out the MedTech Talk podcast, will you? Just uh, tell your friends about it. Give us a ranking on iTunes. And by all means, do shoot me an email at tom at healthogy.com. That is the word health, followed by the letters E-G-Y.com. I would love to hear from you. Let me know who I should talk to and what I should talk about. You can also find me on Twitter. I am at MedTechTom. So thanks again for joining us, and uh, tune in next week for another great tale of innovation.